Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I'm here today with Julie Boudreau. You know, I needed to ask this before. Is it Boudreau? Boudreau. 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 Yep. I can't... You should have seen my maiden name. It was way more complicated. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I should have asked that first. Okay. Let me add a mark here. Okay. All right. Let me restart there. I'm here today with Julie uh, Beaudry. Okay. Restarting again. I'm here today with Julie Beaudry, new technology manager at FlexCon. FlexCon is a family-owned U.S.-based company that is a global leader in the roll-to-roll space. So what is roll-to-roll? Why am I having Julie on the podcast here today to talk about energy transition? And really, what is that interconnect? I want to find out here today. So, Julie, thank you for joining me on the show today. To get started, can you share with me in the audience your background and a quick introduction to FlexCon? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here. So I, uh, yeah, new technology manager at FlexCon, what I do is go out and source new technologies, new products. And a lot of times we're just working with new, with startup companies and established companies and bringing their product to fruition, essentially. Um, But so so that's a little like snippet. Um, There's so much more, I guess, to get into there on that. Um, I have a mechanical engineering background, and so I kind of started in more of the equipment space in roll-to-roll manufacturing. I've kind of spent my career here, and um, I did some stuff with continuous improvement, change management, and now I'm on the new technology, kind of what's next in an organization um, side of things. So um, FlexCon is a roll-to-roll manufacturing company, and we really specialize in pressure-sensitive adhesives. So we are able to apply an adhesive or a coating to usually a liner, and then we dry and cure it, and then we laminate that to a film. That's like the bread and butter of like what we do. There's a lot more to it, and there's nuances, and each different application can be slightly different in process, but ultimately that's what we do. Surprisingly enough, it's an industry that's been around for a very long time, but a lot of people don't know about it. <laughs> And um, there are components from that we make everywhere. So any flat surface you see in a phone or something like that, there might be multiple layers on the top layer, multiple layers. That's all uh, material that actually was processed, most likely roll to roll. So, yeah, so it's kind of a, it's everywhere, but, you know, we don't really think about that a lot of times in the supply chain. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that introduction. It <clears throat> It's very fascinating to think about just the idea of role to role or putting these layers on top of each other and how that ends up being really in so many different parts of of our life we have that so it i want to like kind of walk through that i think you did a great introduction there i think that understanding how and where that starts to apply might be might be valuable for the audience and for anybody who doesn't think about where these materials come from so what i was hearing you say there is kind of layering different things together and kind of pressing them all together i think i think that would be considered laminating or kind of combining things and and building out pieces like that now those are really interesting examples and what i want to walk through is actually how we met we met at the hydrogen summit in I think that was Houston. in Houston. Was that in October? Yeah. Yes, October. October. Yeah. Okay. And you were specifically talking about PEMs. And of course, I, I don't remember what a PEM stands for. You can tell us that. But, oh, I have it right here. Polymer electrolyte membrane. So Yeah, it's a proton exchange membrane. Proton exchange membrane. Okay. Yeah. Great. Can you walk us through using PEMs as an example of how you would actually, how FlexCon builds out these materials? Yeah, so um, I'll kind of take a step back and say, explain what the PEM does, you know, for people. So I'm going to preface this as FlexCon is not a hydrogen fuel cell manufacturer. <laughs> so again, we're supplying components to many different industries. And the proton exchange membrane is something that we have the capability to actually produce. Um, each proton exchange membrane can be different, um, but the key for it is honestly, it's a coating application. So you're coating and drying and curing this membrane. And then there's some other nuances with it um, that won't go necessarily into detail because a lot of what we do, um, FlexCon isn't branding our own proton exchange membrane to sell. We actually are working with um, chemistry companies or technology com companies that are creating their own proton exchange membranes or other membranes like PSFAs and, um, and also established companies as well. They may have their own, they might be using um, something that's already on the marketplace and what we're doing is we're actually making it for them. So we have to handle the chemistries, code it, figure out the right recipes to run it. And then what we do is we end up providing that material back to them and then they'll go and actually get that converted, which means they'll get it actually cut into specific shapes. So the proton exchange membrane is actually the middle of the stack inside a hydrogen fuel cell. And it is playing a very critical role. So you've got electrodes on the other side of it. And what the proton exchange membrane does is it allows protons to pass and does not allow electrons to pass through it. And this is what creates your current and then that drives you know, creation of your energy. So it is really important because one, you wanna make it thin, you need to be very accurate, accurate and your quality needs to be very <laughs> right. So you can't, <laughs> your coating needs to be um, thin and consistent across. 
So there's different coding methodologies you can use depending on the viscosity and rheologies that you need. So um, there's, yeah, intricacies of that. But basically, um, you know, longevity of the proton exchange membrane is important because that's going to be dependent on how long your fuel stack lasts and then also how efficient your fuel stack is. So it's a really critical piece. And so once we make it, our customers or the people, partners that we work with, they'll actually go and qualify their materials. So we're not going to do that. We will uh, make sure that we're doing the quality specs too in our process though. So yeah, <laughs> a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the most important parts here that I heard you saying is that with this proton exchange membrane, that one is an integral part of the fuel cell and the quality of that PEM is almost what kind of defines the fuel cells capabilities, both long-term longevity and efficiency and, and power itself. Exactly. And there's two critical components of it. So we're not the ones maybe making the chemistries. We might be mixing stuff at production, but upstream there's someone that's actually very very brilliant and they're making those chemistries and deciding okay well what is the right mixture of everything that i need to make this work okay and so then it's on to us though we have to be able to actually make it into production though so you can have a great design and you can maybe do it in a batch form but the reason why people want to move it to a roll to roll is because you can make lots of lots and lots of it so it's a very efficient process, and that's why roll-to-roll has a very good, it has a strong hold in manufacturing and an important place in manufacturing. So you can get more economical with your, your products. Yeah, that's a really good point because I, it seems like maybe on a monthly or, or quarterly basis, you see some really great announcement of something like a PV cell or photovoltaic cell having... Yeah. 70% efficiency or the infrared photovoltaic cells. But all of those are always qualified that this is a single single small unit in a university setting with perfect yeah. conditions. And and what you're talking about there bringing it from the brilliant person far upstream in their technology lab into something that can actually be manufactured and produced commercially at scale that is that's almost like this hurdle that that takes most most technologies years to to jump over you are yes i can hire you (laughs) (laughs) um yes you're um this is exactly what we do so my business unit that i work in this is exactly what we love to do and um, what, what we do on a daily basis is we work with different companies and they have a brilliant idea. And it can, can be coming out of academia, like you mentioned, and, but getting to the commercial standpoint and to where they can make the product and have it be priced reasonably, that's where we can really help. And um, we love to do it. So working, like you were talking about PV, so we did some stuff, we do things in solar, when different things, anything with materials, you know, at the end of the day, so we love working we love working with really smart people because I get to learn a ton and we get to see that idea actually make it into something that they can sell. And that's really, really fantastic and our team really excels at it. Yeah, that's that's exciting. 
just <laughs> just out of curiosity, when we're talking about about this, focus on the energy transition here. We've talked about PEMs. What other, I guess, areas in the energy transition do you have this roll to roll kind of process or or coding process that is that is just as integral as PEMs that people may not know about? So, yeah, so we did some work with solar back. Well, so you're talking about all like renewables yep. and stuff like that. Yep. Okay. And I guess, <laughs> just want clarification. And I guess, I don't want to go rogue. Yeah. I guess also <laughs> just like regular life yeah. too. Mm. Yeah. So I'm, I'll go through the gamut of like everywhere where you'll see stuff and I'm going to be missing a ton and people in our industry are going to be like, you missed all <laughs> these things because it's everywhere. So if you, uh, if you ever went to Flexcon's website, you're going to be like, oh, that's interesting because it will look more labels and graphics. Hmm. Labels and graphics as a whole, everywhere. You know, if you go into the grocery store, you walk down an aisle, you see the shelf marking, you know, with the pricing, we make that. We're not going to print, but we make that material. If you go and see on a shampoo bottle or on something on a label of a beverage, that might be our material um, as a label. Labels have a place <laughs> they're a nuisance but important they're important for marketing but they're also important for um there's functionality included into it so there could be um a lot of um oh my gosh i'm losing a word right now <laughs> um clearly i don't work on the side of the business um but th it's uh, really critical for counterfeit that's what i'm looking for you know making sure that you have the right product and stuff like that so there's um you know it gives you the instructions on how to use so there's all these surprisingly important aspects into a label and it needs to withstand certain environments so we do a lot of that work and that's in our core main business in you know medical label applications um, and then also just like advertisement as well. Bus wraps um, are another thing that we do. Um, but what ends up happening is we produce this material. There's all this work that goes into an application and then a lot of times that will go to a printer. And there's this whole world of like the printer to converter worlds. And there's a lot that actually happens in it and there's a lot of chemistry involved in it. Um, on our side of the business, we really work on specialty applications. And so it's really getting more into like the aerospace, uh, flexible electronics, um, clean tech would be like some of the bigger categories that we get into. And a lot of times those life cycles of those projects could be three to five years from again, helping them trial and test to, to actual scale up. Um, you know, your phone screen is an application that's roll to roll run. Um, let's see if your floor is laminate flooring, a lot of that pieces of it can be roll, run roll to roll. Um, like in the car, pretty much almost every little aspect, there's little things in there that's run roll to roll as well. Even some of the fabrics can be roll, run roll to roll. So it really started in the textile industry, roll to roll manufacturing. And that's where it kind of escalated into plastics. And so plastics is the realm that we're kind of working in, um, but we still run, we can run fabrics, we can run all different materials. Um, I'm trying to think, but just anywhere there's like a flat surface of sorts, there's might be stacks, um, solar. Um, we did the PV back sheet for a while. Um, it's not an offering right now that we have, but we do work on specialty cases. So if people wanted to do different things, we've worked on, you know, the top, 
sheet as well of um, we worked on some efficacy improvements with topography on materials so we can also change so you get a film we can actually change the topography of it that can create different attributes for what you're looking for so it could be capturing light and in a different way so yeah we've done like a lot of different things there's applications everywhere um, you know, re uh, resealing on packaging is something that we can do, but that's roll to roll. Huh. Um, a lot of different packaging applications as well. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. Um, okay. So I want to, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to get back to these labels towards the end. I want to stick to, yeah, you can, that's, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an easy example and stuff, but we don't have to, I mean, we're not here to talk about like labels. Yep. There's just a lot that does go into it. And it's actually like the feeder that brought us into like all these other industries, okay. which is kind of wild because we're using similar assets across. So it's the same type of processing. Yeah. So something that seems so simple of, oh, I made a sticker. You're using that same concept of processing to make these very high performance materials. Wow. That's, that is cool in itself. So when we talk about developing things like flexible, flexible materials, aerospace engineering materials, solar panels, PEMs, I'm sure that each of those sound different. Each of them sound like they would have their unique challenges. And, mm -hmm. and as you pointed out, three to five year timeline from a idea or concept that gets brought to you to what sounds like commercial production. I guess what kind of challenges exist either in generalities or specifics when it comes to developing these new, new technologies and new pieces for the energy transition space? Yeah. So the challenges that exist are always, you know, handling of the materials themselves and um, having the right processes in place, hitting the right quality specs that they need. Um, and a lot of it too, honestly, for companies is getting on spec. Um, you know, we can work on a project, but if it's not adopted into a market space or hit on spec, then it, there isn't, you're not going to scale it. So there's a little bit of challenge in that, which isn't necessarily, it depends what kind of partnership Flexcon has, if we're part of that piece of the marketing and selling, or if we're just a contract, we can do different things. We're pretty flexible in our business models, but um, you know, some of it could for us could just be a waiting game of keeping that relationship open and making sure that they're getting samples tested and things are working the way that they have hoped they would. So, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of different challenges on different projects. A lot of it does come down to, can you handle the chemistries? Can you actually make it work? Can you get the right quality product that they're looking for? And so, yeah, that's <laughs> Okay. So what does it take? How do you overcome those challenges? I guess, what does it take to make sure the end product is to spec? And how can you do that in a consistent way? Yeah, so we try, we run trials. Um, first, we start in the lab and we actually do drawdowns and understand how the chemistry works. And this is usually, we always have to approve and bring, to bring things in sight. So we usually start in the lab, figure out how things work. You know, basically you gotta touch, feel and see, right? To understand what you're working with. 
from there, we'll then say, okay, let's put a trial plan together. We have enough of this chemistry to put it up on a machine. And this is the coding methodology we're going to try. And so we have like six different coding methodologies in-house. And so they're all coding, different coding methodologies are used for different reasons. Um, based on the thickness of your materials, based on the uh, thickness you want to achieve as well. Um, so basically we run trials and usually, I mean, our team is pretty seasoned in the standpoint that they have a lot of experience, which is very, very helpful. And so they usually have a good idea of, okay, this is how I want to start. But our team actually goes in, runs the trials and builds out that recipe. And so once we get a product that one, we were like, okay, this looks okay. <laughs> and we get a product that our customer is like, this is working for our application. Then we'll actually just um, spec that in. So we have a recipe book and that gets every run we have, all the variables is tracked. So we can go back historically in time at any point and say, oh, this work order, here's all the variables. This is how this machine was running. Um, so realistically, we just have a decent way of capturing all that and repeating it over and over again. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, With, yeah. so if you've got history on kind of everything that you've ever produced, is there any way or are there any applications for something like data analysis to start looking at those past processes and finding ways to improve them? Is there any way to start developing new new coding methodologies based on all of this past experience? Yeah, so really, really what you would want to use it for is for optimization. So, because pricing, how people sell, is going to be dependent on your line speeds. So the faster you can run and create good product, the cheaper your product will become. Um, and so we can use historical data to work on optimization for sure. Um, but honestly, you ask a good question of being like, how do you, how do you actually use your data analytics in a little bit of a better way? And I think that's something that is, we, we do because we have to analyze data to understand it, break it down, but we probably could optim could, could learn a little bit more about some of our operations that way. So, yeah, I think that would be it. It's almost like we're bringing in this this what you you pointed out is a very mature technology. It has been around for a long time. This roll to roll process, but now we've got the ability of of big data, data analytics, and bringing it all in, looking at history matching and and artificial intelligence to start yeah. looking at optimization opportunities. And it, it makes me think of a, a past guest who was talking about about computational fluid dynamics, something yeah. that is it's a very big, big words, yeah. very difficult um, numerical modeling to do on your on your home computer. But now with as fast as computers are and with uh, artificial intelligence, you could have that computer model essentially be running through thousands of different iterations on trials and essentially be doing these trials instead of in the lab, you could be doing them in the cloud and getting some type of at least a, a set of 10 trials that now are the most optimum that should work the best. It's a very interesting thought to see how, 
how you could see FlexCon and Roll to Roll improve in the future. Yeah, and I think that's, I think a lot of manufacturers, I can't speak for everyone, but generalization here is that are in the same kind of situation of being like, we're still using some older methodologies. They've worked really well. You know, there's definitely a workforce. Um, and I think there's like 11 million open jobs right now or something like that. Wow. So it's a, you know, we will, ha- we will, it's going to be kind of, we don't have enough people replacing all those that are going to retire. So I think for Fox kind of even like capturing and retaining some of that knowledge, we have employees that have been at our company for 40 years, 45 years, 30 years, like that's the norm. Um, and so the amount of knowledge that they have, I mean, is it's insane. And to on the materials and the versatility and, and seeing all these different things, that is going to take a long time for someone to really learn and gain. So I think new tools coming into industries, especially in manufacturing, is really critical um, and will be fascinating to kind of see where things do go, um, do go with it. So yeah, anyways, that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, it would... We'll see. We'll see where things go. Yeah. But yeah. It's, um, we've incorporated some stuff, but we definitely, I think have like most companies could keep going a lot further in it. Okay. So. One, one thing that I want to touch on is I, I guess the, the important point is that this is kind of, this is a vital piece of modern life in terms of roll-to-roll manufacturing. And as we talk about scope one, scope two, scope three emissions and environmental impact, I think it, it would behoove us to think about what is the environmental footprint or the impact of developing these films and, and this manufacturing process. So I guess the, the first question I wanna ask is what are those biggest inputs to this process? And then what are ways that that you and FlexCon are actively looking at reducing that environmental footprint and reducing that impact? Yeah, so we're pretty active in this currently. Um, There's a couple things. So upstream, downstream, there are things happening. So we're in the middle of this this PEM creation. So a big um, added footprint would be, you know, the creation of some of these chemicals um, that are used for this. Um, And then processing it and then also then there's some conversion which is a lot less energy extensive um so in our industry what we do is um heat is very important (laughs) heat and airflow um and so we actually do like um recirculation of heat and stuff like that to reduce um our energy uh consumptions So we do a lot of different projects in that standpoint um, to kind of constantly figure out recirculation. The same thing is like waste reduction is massive. How do you um, use less, so thinner coatings? How do you then um, have less waste? So when you're in your process, how do you optimize it in waste standpoint so that you're not having, you know, trim waste or you're not having um, excess like startup waste and stuff like that. So we've worked on a lot of projects internally on that to make sure that we are optimizing in that standpoint. Um, And then the other piece is actually working with um, our upstream partners to make sure that we have a good circular um, process. 
so we can actually reuse um, materials over and over again. So we're actively kind of doing that so we have more of a closed loop um, circular economy in these types of applications because they're very expensive. <laughs> so you don't want waste and like, I mean, you just, you gotta, you need to be tight with what you're doing. Um, so I think there's recognition on that. I think people are working really hard to solve some of these problems. Um, and, and I think that's the whole point, but yeah, I mean, you look at the supply chain, that's one component for all these things, you know, same thing with batteries because batteries have a lot of roll to roll aspects inside them as well. And so, um, anyways, you look at any, anything that's using an alternative energy source, you know, you've got a lot of different components going into them. And so really having those supply chains tight and, and knowing where you're sourcing stuff from, is really important. So. Um, we source all over, but majority is domestically, but we work really hard with our suppliers to make sure that they are following similar and strict guidelines. Now, our manufacturing facility is in Massachusetts, our headquarters, so we, um, and we're, uh, we hold some pretty high standards is what I'm going to say in a manufacturing world and stuff like that. So, and mostly because New England has seen seen a lot of that in the earlier days. And so um, anyway, so we're always working on improving what we can do. And we like to work with partners that care. <laughs> um, ideally, they care. We want to work on stuff that is making an impact in the world. But we also want to make sure that we work with partners that know what they're handling and that we're all doing it um, appropriately and in the best fashion. So yeah, yep. so. that is really, really great to hear and very exciting. Um, I appreciate <clears throat> kind of everything you're saying here and, and I'm, I'm glad to have had you on because I think it, it's important to point out the, your active participation in decarbonizing this vital key component to renewable energy and to kind of modern life. So it's always important to point out the the decarbonization opportunities, both with supply chain and with the process and the process for making these components. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be making this amazing thing that's doing awesome, but actually have this impact upstream of it that's actually really detrimental. So yep. again, a lot of it is like finding the right partners, following the right regulations, um, and also like being ahead of those regulations. So a lot of what Foxconn has done has kind of been like, okay, this is what they're saying, but this is what we're going to do and take it a step further. So, um, so I think it's, it's really, I think nowadays it's really important and, you know, I think for a while, you know, manufacturing in the U S has kind of like, it's kind of dipped and stuff like that. And it's kind of coming back. And especially because of the, um, pandemic and everything, I think there's a recognition that we need to be making some of these things, but we also have to understand what that means. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, and uh, I think it's good because I think sometimes being conscientious of our whole value stream is really important. And I think sometimes in our consumerism world that we live in, we lose sight of that. You know, it's no different in the food industry. Same, same stuff of like, where, where is food coming from? How is it being made? How's it being sourced? All that stuff. So, yep. um, same world challenges. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of that, I want to, I want to talk about labels so we're going to shift gears just a touch. These are when we're like labels, you said, is kind of like a, a very key component to 
to what y'all do and a very large portion of, of basically wherever you're looking, you're probably looking at some type of roll-to-roll created label. I guess the as you were talking about that, I was wondering, because it's such a big part of our lives, how do we decarbonize labels? Whether that is making recyclable labels, making recyclable material, whether that is the process, like where where can we really have the biggest impact associated with all these labels we have out there? Yeah, so there's, um, it's a good, it's a actually a big problem. So I know single use stuff is really where it starts and that's what, um, I can't speak, so I don't run this like part of the division and stuff like that. It's been a big part of, you know, Flexcon's business for a while. Um, But I think it's, you know, there's innovation aspect of it that you need to be evolving. So, you know, there's wash off labels, there's different things you can do. Um, I think that there's, like I said, energy reduction and consumption inside manufacturing will be a critical player in that. There's other coding methodologies and things that use less energy as well that is being looked at and explored. Um, there's just there is a lot of different innovation going on, and then there's also working with like municipalities and like figuring out the recycling and what does that mean because that's a whole nut for the U.S. to crack. Um, and I don't even want to uh, go there. <laughs> I, I I'm not a professional uh, in that arena and stuff, but um, it's a there's multiple problems in that whole stream and stuff. So, I mean, even for us in manufacturing, we do a lot with like recycling pallets. We use some plastic pallets for some customers and we'll reuse those over, I mean, years and years and years. So there's different things internally that in these value chains we can be doing. Consumerism definitely drives, I think, well, consumption. So uh, that's, you know, that's kind of the, where we're kind of living. Um, and so our, our um, company, you know, we're B2B for the majority of our products. And so we're kind of in the, we're in the middle of the value chain and a lot of this stuff that we do. But yeah, so labels and graphics is a big portion of the business. But then, um, like I said, our technology team, we do a lot of like the specialty applications, flexible electronics, um, doing some conductive tracing, um, uh, I don't know. We have like a lot of performance materials. We have some polyamides that are actually up in space right now. Um, we've got, so there's just, um, at the end of the day, it's, I think the exciting part of like where we are socially is that there's all these new innovations. And I think that we'll keep improving processes. We'll keep improving how we look at materials and making them thinner and having them have the right performance um you know materials though they're everywhere so how do we source them appropriately how do we remove harsh metals out of them how do we you know those will be problems that we'll have to be solving for next generations Mm -hmm. to come and stuff like that and i think there's a lot like that's the stuff i get excited about when we have a, a new technology company that has a sustainable solution that wants to start to like test out and like make their products scale and so we work with a lot of those companies as well. So I think it's an exciting time, you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Lots of challenges um, across all industries. So, yep, absolutely. 
Well, with that, I want to transition into the final questions. These are the questions I ask all of my guests, and I think they're a little bit more fun and exciting sometimes. So with that, that first question is, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? I know. This this question is stressing me out. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I think I, I put, probably spent more time thinking about this in like, oh, no, he's going to ask me um, because I've read a lot. So I did a lot with change management. So I read a lot of like, you know, Toyota Way and, um, you know, I want read Brave and different books about vulnerability and stuff like that, which I, I think they're all fantastic. I, workbooks are great and they have a place and you can learn a lot. Um, right now, though, favorite book is probably the Pout Pout Fish in my household. So. <laughs> Uh, I've got a 16 month old. And so she is, um, I, I like, actually, I love reading the children's books because they're just so simplistic and like, it just, it's nice. Like children are definitely like the bright spot in society. So yep. that's a, <laughs> so. I like that, that take on it because when I, I, I've noticed a lot of interesting books and as a, as a geologist and we've got a four year old at home and he's just now really getting into like doing science experiments. But even as a 16 month old, we would be picking out books that we thought were going to be educational and interesting and, and also interesting for us to read something that we could get some type of enjoyment out of. So I think it it's so important to get those good quality learning educational books even if it's if it's emotional education or or just basic science or basic numbers and letters getting those in a fun way into our children's minds yeah i would agree and it's funny so what we have i think we have so many books in our house but it's um i will tell you she my daughter is like i'll try to read something and she'll be like done and I'm like oh (laughs) no I want to read about weather I would like to read about weather and uh she's like I'm good without that um (laughs) so hopefully she'll get out of that phase soon yeah um but I can there are a few books that she can be extremely captured with and Eric Carl books are also a big um like for her um and I like those as well there's actually he has uh the museum nearby where we live too. So. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Very so, cool. Anyways, but children's books are great. And I like, feel like I get to learn so much. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know this about dinosaurs. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. So the next question, when will we be net zero as a society? Uh, I know this was another stressor of my you know, questions. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I think I had a very complex answer of just like, I'm not really quite sure because um, I'm not a betting person and there's so many challenges I think that are currently happening in the world right now that I think are impacting the speed and rate that we are achieving some of the goals that um, some countries have set out for. Um, So I think world stability is going to have a huge factor in it, (laughs) Um, which is, unfortunate um and then i think you know biodiversity and some other issues that maybe aren't on the forefront are going to actually be impactors they're going to have to be a balancing act that i think is going to have to occur but i do think that with the innovations coming out 
with you know some of the companies really pushing forward and being groundbreaking which i think i do think industry will help propel things forward um because of those things i think that will make a really good dent i don't know the actual zero because i feel like that's a very like i'm not yeah i don't know if, are we ever going to get there like fully like in true reality of it like so it depends how we define it <laughs> And, um, but yeah, so I think that, I think we'll see a great, um, improvement and impact and, um, but yeah, I think we're going to have a, some other challenges ahead that I think are going to need to be balanced out in, in reality. All right. So. Yeah. I think that <laughs> I, I think that's a good, a good answer. And I think that is a realistic answer and I think it's important as often as we can point towards the exciting parts, but then also kind of help us stay in this grounded, grounded inspirational zone of like, yeah, there's a lot of challenges, but we can do it. And we have to be excited to keep going, even though it is going to be, it's going to be a, a I guess a, a long time. There's going to be hurdles to jump, but if we keep going, we will get there. Yeah. Yep. I think so. You know, yep. I think there's going to be a point of saying that we need to, you know what I mean? So I think I was listening to something that climate is going to be a challenge for governments and people, you know, mm. that's going to be the, and then biodiversity will be, um, a threat to society as a whole. So mm. I think it's like a, um, it's a balancing act on kind of what has to occur. Yep. So good. Yeah. <laughs> so, that last question is now you actually get to ask me a question. Oh yeah. So, um, you get to talk to a lot of, uh, different people and see different, uh, stuff in the new technology, new innovation space. You know, I guess from your perspective, what, what do you see that's really promising or really exciting, or maybe just something that you're passionate and interested in that you think is, gonna come out <laughs> yeah there Ooh, that's a it's a good question i feel like i i feel like i give a slightly different answer every time because always that that next technology that i talk to is always the most interesting but it right now one thing that i've said before and i'll say it again and I'll double down on this is that I think the, the answer is in the subsurface and that's the most exciting because there are multiple different methodologies and technologies to generate subsurface hydrogen. Like that's really exciting. And, and this is coming from an energy perspective. So things like roll to roll lamination and processing, that is a vital component, but you need energy to run that. So ultimately, where is that energy coming from? How are we going to decarbonize energy? I think subsurface hydrogen production, I think subsurface energy storage. My personal take is that thermal energy storage is going to be is going to work better than something like lithium ion batteries or or anything at the surface because we've got this we literally have all of the rock there in the subsurface that we can use as a storage mechanism 
as opposed to bringing it up to the surface and refining it down into batteries or or something else. So if we can store energy in the subsurface or if we can produce new clean energy in the subsurface or if we can find a way to very quickly and easily store carbon dioxide and capture it and, and sequester it, like that is, I see that as how we get to net zero. So the answer is all of the cool stuff that people are doing associated with subsurface, either energy production, energy storage, or carbon storage. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, it's exciting. I am, uh, I don't, I've started to learn a lot more about that world. Um, I got dabbled in some carbon capture as well, like stuff. And also like there's a lot of carbon capture membranes and stuff like that created. Mm -hmm. Those are made roll to roll for the most part too. So there's like, <laughs> um, but, uh, there are yeah barriers and membranes if anything that's acting as a barrier or a membrane that's most likely a roll to roll, roll, roll. creation <laughs> yeah so um but i started dabbling in that and i would say that conference that i met you at i was there were some amazing talks there and talking about hydrogen holistically and i i learned a ton and i thought it was really fascinating um but yeah so i'm not part of the energy sector but learning a little bit um I'm interested to see th where things go, and I'm hoping that FlexCon can be a part of the, that supply chain in some fashion or another. Yeah. So yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's an exciting time. Yeah. But I like how pa yeah, I can tell that you have a <laughs> geology background because you get really passionate about your like underground. I'm like, yeah. oh, rocks. <laughs> yeah, rocks. So, rocks are the answer. It's good. <laughs> Passion drives things. Yeah. You, you need that. So. Yep. <laughs> well, Julie, thank you for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, if you're interested in touching base or you have a technology that you're interested in looking into a little bit more, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> and uh, happy to connect with anyone. And I really appreciate you having me on. Yep. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll have a link to your LinkedIn and to FlexCon in the show notes so everybody can find you there. And thanks again for joining us today. And thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you'd like to hear more of. If you want to hear more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find them by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. I do have one more favor to ask. If um, One more thing. I have a quick favor to ask. I have a one-question survey that I'd like you to fill out. The link is in the show notes. Please go fill it out. And if you do, we can send you some stickers. And finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.